Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In the previous program, I mentioned a terrible, monstrous crime that was committed just before Valentine's Day. In New York City, the city of Michael Bloomberg, Democrat presidential candidate, who is not included in the Democrat presidential caucuses in Nevada today, George Washington's birthday, this day known as President's Day, which used to be known as George Washington's birthday. But then, then various leaders, auspicious leaders of this nation chose to combine the commemorations of Abraham Lincoln's birthday, February 12th, and George Washington's birthday, February 22nd, into one day, President's Day, lumping them together with all of the other illustrious presidents. This to make way for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Tremendous. Great leap forward. So we then, (laughs) we lose the distinctiveness. We lose (laughs) all reason for the occasion. And we combine George Washington, first in war, first in peace, with all of the rotten presidents that we've had. But, again, I mentioned this terrible crime. These couple girls heading home from school on a Metropolitan Transit Authority bus in New York City in Manhattan, in glorious Manhattan, New York. In the afternoon, they were accosted by a group that was initially described as girls and later described as women that were of color, and who verbally attacked them and attempted to intimidate them. Then, unfortunately, these two girls, 114, 117, exited the bus along with this gang of women of color who were met by a gang of men of color, men of color. And they robbed the girls, and one of these vicious black gangsters monstrously cut one of the girls, the 14-year-old girl's face, deeply wounded her face, 
resulting in wounds, plural. He did it for the hell of it because he's such a vicious, monstrous, hateful thug. It was a racist, violent act. It was a hate crime. But of course, it hasn't been labeled a hate crime. Three days before Valentine's Day, this girl had emergency surgery But she is going to carry this physical wound of multiple wounds to her face. 14-year-old girl, adolescent girl, she's going to carry these wounds to her face, to her person, to her spirit, to her soul, to her personality for the rest of her life. What's going to happen to this monstrous thug when he is caught? The police released video taken of him, surveillance video. He will assuredly be caught. He undoubtedly has been caught by now. But what's going to happen to him? Really? What do you imagine? Do you think he'll be put in jail for six months or something? And that'll be the end of it? What should happen to him for this? Really? What should happen? Honestly, what should happen? He should have capital punishment, and it should happen this year. And it shouldn't be by injection. It should be firing squad or hanging. But we don't believe in those things now because now now we have advanced so far. Now we have achieved this extraordinary state of humankind as, of course, the president referred to time and again during his State of the Union address. The only punishment adequate for this vicious, monstrous crime is capital punishment. Again, he might get up to six months in jail for all I know. Possibly. But he wanted to maim and mutilate this girl for life. That's what he attempted. And that's what he accomplished. But Meanwhile, a number of years ago, there was a young woman, there is a young woman, Simone Mousset, 23-year-old woman in Chicago. I mean, the name makes me think French Islamist, French Muslim. But in any case, this... Sweet young woman, dear young woman. She bought handguns, multiple handguns, and sold them, resold them to gangbangers, to black gangbangers in Chicago.
One of them was later reported as stolen. (laughs) She reported it stolen after she had sold it to black gangsters. Gang members in Chicago, which is notorious for black gang violence, isn't it? For black gang gun violence in Chicago. And here is one of their suppliers, this dear woman, who again has an Arabic Islamic name, Mousset, but Simon, French. So, yes, a Glock 23 that was resold by her, purchased to be resold, and then she reported, she had the brass to report it stolen. Fantastic. So that, of course, (laughs) she can't be blamed when it's used to commit multiple murders. It was recovered by police from a juvenile gangbanger. Another Glock, um, 22. She sold to Jason Barber. Nine days after she bought it, she knew he was on probation for domestic battery. She knew he had gang membership, (laughs) gang ties. She sold two guns to him, two Glocks to him. She also had ammunition in her possession that was used to pierce bulletproof vests. But this dear young woman, she was charged with four felonies. And what did she get? Not a single solitary day of jail time. Not one day. Now, if you or I had done this, We would never see the outside of prison. We would never leave prison alive. We just wouldn't. That would be the end of our lives. But for this woman, no problem. She's the right kind of person. She's the kind of person that the left loves, even while they are campaigning against The evils of guns. So who's at the forefront of the battle to disarm the American people? I mean, there's not just one person. There are organizations. But one of the most vocal organizations spending the most money is led by mega-billionaire Michael Bloomberg. Yes, mayors against illegal guns. Oh, Mikey. But he wouldn't have any problem with Miss Moucher. No. Oh, the presidential candidate. Such a man. Well, currently... Of course, the tally is being taken with regard to this outstanding political exercise 
of the Democrat caucuses in Nevada, in which this year is the first year that they have had early voting. It's been taking place all week. Early voting, first time. And I clumsily referred to it in the previous program. The caucuses actually being today officially, but this year they have this early voting which has transpired over the entire week. Meanwhile, a week from today, the primary in South Carolina in which the Democrat registered vote, the constituency, the demographics is 60% or more black. Joe Biden's (laughs) core constituency, along with union vote and so forth. But I thought it was fascinating that Mikey Bloomberg, who is not registered for the caucuses, he did not file in time. But I thought it was fascinating, his reference to Bernie Sanders. You know, the socialist, communist, Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont, running as a Democrat. The comments by Michael Bloomberg, ostensibly Democrat now, previously independent, prior to that Republican and prior to that Democrat, Michael Bloomberg, referring to Bernie, he said the following, if we, quote, if we choose a candidate who appeals to a small base like Senator Sanders, it will be a fatal error. End quote. And it was funny, he referred to Bernie Sanders, quote, pie-in-the-sky promises and proposals that will bankrupt the country, end quote. This is coming from former mayor Michael Bloomberg, three-term mayor of New York City, who pushed, who used the power of his office to push the most outrageous pie-in-the-sky pipe dream proposals that have ever come down the pipe. Outlawing soft drinks. Big gulps. Outlawing them. I mean, the kind of thing that you normally associate with Berkeley, California, where they attempted to outlaw non-organic coffee. (laughs) Yes, yes, it's just... Extraordinary, extraordinary, brilliant political leadership. It is the epitome of big brother government from a small man. But Michael Bloomberg is not small because of his lack of height. No. He's not a small man because of his lack of girth. No. He's a small man because of his dearth of godly character. I've referred to his profaneness, his lewdness, his vileness time and time again. And so I found it fascinating that Liz Warren took up this matter in these 
debates. One of uh, the zingers that she (laughs) initiated the debate with versus Bloomberg. Quote, I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg, end quote. Yes, that's Mayor Bloomberg, but that's his nice language. That's when he's not using profanity, which he uses all the time. X-rated Michael Bloomberg. Elizabeth Warren, she referred time and again to the non-disclosure agreements that he forced his female employees to sign, which barred them, prohibited them from ever disclosing details concerning his acts of sexual harassment and abuse. He has been sued to release these women from these non-disclosure agreements, but he has declined to do so. Quote, they signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live with. End quote. From this great... Moral leader, Michael Bloomberg. Jewish Michael Bloomberg. Now, you may be familiar with, you may not. It's something I've referred to time and again in my other programs. Bible programs. But Jesus referred to any number of Jewish people certainly including the vast majority of Jewish leaders, as referring to themselves as Jewish when they were in fact what Jesus repeatedly referred to as the synagogue of Satan. In my humble opinion, Michael Bloomberg epitomizes that. Even though not being a Jewish leader, as far as Jewish religious leader. But Michael Bloomberg epitomizes more than that. And I'll get to that in a minute. But here, regarding these Democrat caucuses in Nevada, the only thing I've seen on it earlier today was about Bernie Sanders supposedly being the number one pick. But this was gleaned from not exit polls, but entrance polls that were conducted during the past week pertaining to the early voting. And again, from a, you know, less than 2,000 people. As far as I'm concerned, throw that out. (laughs) Let's wait for the real results. Let's wait until the dust settles, until we can see what the totals are. But it will be interesting to see how billionaire, California billionaire Tom Steyer 
does. The reason I say that is because, again, these entrance polls, they showed that for four out of ten people, 40%, the number one issue was health care. And they overwhelmingly wanted to switch over to completely socialized, government-controlled, government-offered, government-administered health care. So what could be more natural than that they would be voting for Bernie Sanders? He's their guy. Of course, Elizabeth Warren is on board with that too. And they're not alone among the Democrat presidential candidates, but they are the most notable ones. Bernie number one, Liz number two. But given that three out of 10, 30% said that climate change was their number one issue, I have to believe that Tom Steyer would then be number one pick or number two pick for those people because he has made climate control his number one issue. Followed by impeachment of the president. Tom Steyer has said, quote, we can save the world and we can do it together. Noting that he has been fighting, fighting, fighting for decades to stop fossil fuels. Fighting mines, coal mines, those evil coal mines, and championing green energy. Be fascinating to see how Tom Steyer does. Billionaire Tom Steyer, who has spent a boatload of money in Nevada, in preparation for these caucuses. But with regard to Michael Bloomberg, again, Michael Bloomberg, one of the champions of sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, you know, these major metropolitan areas and even states such as California that are predominantly Democrat and are controlled politically overwhelmingly by Democrats. California entirely controlled. The biggest state politically, no, the largest geographically is Alaska. But the biggest politically, California and New York State, these places, sanctuary states, not merely sanctuary cities, but sanctuary states, so-called, and absolutely, totally controlled by the Democrat Party machine. So they are the forerunner for a Democrat-controlled federal government. And you cannot find worst messes 
in terms of politically and legally than California and New York and throw in Chicago, Illinois. But (laughs) there are so many, it's really hard to be that exclusive, but they do lead the way. But Mikey Dukakis Bloomberg, he's, you know, speaking out against this socialist, communist, Sanders, and yet his way of governing is, if not communist, it's fascist. Take your pick extreme big brother government. What's fascinating to me about Michael Bloomberg's presidential run, though, is this, is that generally speaking, normally, overwhelmingly, those that run for high office in the United States of America, anyway, they are not typically the powerhouses behind the scenes. Yes, they work hand in glove. Yes. Yes, they are promoted by the power brokers behind the screens. But they are not normally the power brokers themselves. Michael Bloomberg is the exception to that rule. He is. He is one of those world controllers. World controlling, social engineering, power brokers. He received his undergraduate degree, interestingly enough, in electrical engineering. So he knows something about engineering from that standpoint. Before his Harvard MBA. But yes, Michael Bloomberg. Well... I mean, his net worth is only about a third that of Jeff Bezos. So, you know, modest wealth, (laughs) modest wealth, mega billionaire, Michael Bloomberg. But for me, that's what's interesting about him is that he is one of the world power brokers. And it is unusual that they actually run for office. They're almost always exclusively behind the scenes. They are the power behind the throne. But Michael Bloomberg wants to be on the throne. But for a very, very long time, it has been a core belief by those on the left, such as family members of mine that all intelligent people are Democrats and vote Democrat. And only stupid, ignorant, uneducated people are not Democrat and do not vote Democrat. But... The ruling elite leaders, <laughs> they've never believed that. The ruling elite leaders of the left, no, they've never subscribed to that. 
the elite leaders are a minority in the Democrat Party as they are in the Communist Party. They know (laughs) that it is very different from that. They have a very, very, very different perspective. They take a much lower view of those whom they control and command. They do not view the 95-plus percent or so of blacks and the virtually same percentage of Jews who vote Democrat slavishly and union members. They do not view them as being particularly intelligent. No. They view them as being dupes. But ironically, again, the Jewish population in this nation, the Jewish demographic, is the single most highly educated one in this nation. And they are slavishly Democrat. And it is strange. Uh, The... (laughs) That they are slavishly Democrat along with the blue-collar union members. No, not all union members are blue-collar. What about the teachers' unions? Huge, powerful, rich leftist unions. But the stereotypical union strength, union membership, is blue-collar. Blue-collar industry, which, of course, has been savaged for decades Industry being ruined and being shipped abroad, sent away. Before I go any further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, That is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. Language. Language can be a tool. It can be a weapon. In the hands of the left, it is a weapon. The perversion of the masses, of the great unwashing masses, by the perversion of language used to pervert cultures, to pervert morals and mores, is at the forefront of Politics 101, war by other means. And there are any number of... Examples. I could come up with hundreds of examples, but for instance, quote, we got pregnant, end quote. We got pregnant? Really? So then is this couple both great with child? I don't think so. Are they both carrying a child 
in their womb? I don't think so. Are they both going to give birth to this child? I don't think so. But we got pregnant. And you hear it and see it everywhere. This deliberate perversion of language intended to cause perversion of behavior. But there are all manner of other things. But language, whether it's the term gay, the corruption, the perversion of that word to put a happy face on sodomy and sodomites. On all of the sodomite agenda. Just so many wonderful things that we have to thank the left, the terrible left for. The left of socialism, communism, and fascism. Wait a minute. Fascism is right. No. And when I say right, I don't mean correct. No, it is not of the right. It is not right wing. It is just the alternate branch, which you could call a the right branch, of socialism. Communism, the left branch, or the left side of the coin of socialism, and fascism, the right branch, or right half, or right side of socialism. But that's of socialism, and socialism is a leftist. So it is a gross misrepresentation and perversion not merely of language, but using language to pervert concepts and to pervert truth, to refer to fascism as far right. It is nothing of the kind. I'm sure you have undoubtedly been following the matter concerning the coronavirus. from China with something. But no doubt you saw I have referred to the, uh, the cruise ship that finally was permitted to make port and there were 328 Americans who made their way to Tokyo's Haneda Airport. They wore surgical masks and gloves and waited this following weeks of quarantine. Weeks of quarantine on the luxury liner while the epidemic (laughs) raged on board. And they were kept in quarantine in that environment. Horrible. Well, they were released. They were seen to have no symptoms. 
and they were sent home to the United States of America, along with 14 passengers who were clearly, was it 14? Exactly. 14 passengers who were clearly infected. So 14 infected, 300 plus who showed no signs of infection. They were flown back to the United States on the same airliner. Yes, they were separated on board by a plastic-lined enclosure. But the thing about this, what is what should be of concern is that the people that were released from the cruise ship who were deemed to be uninfected and released to go their ways, lo and behold, some of them have later blossomed into infection. At least one woman, within two days, was shown to be infected. So perhaps the president was not completely wrong to be upset at how this was handled. Which also was contrary to the advice from the Centers for Disease Control. But... Centers for Disease Control has a very, very marked leftist persuasion. So it's, it's interesting that they should seemingly give good advice here. But speaking of this sort of terrible thing, call it epidemic. You know, disease, epidemic, pandemic. Seattle, Washington. Seattle Children's Hospital has had seven children die from Aspergillus mold infection over a period of years. And the last child to die there, Elizabeth Hutt, at the ripe old age of five months post-birth. Five months old, and she had been suffering with this mold infection for months. She contracted it at the hospital. This dear little girl, she was taken there because of serious health condition. But the parents, they said, the quote, the wonderful medical doctors and staff at Seattle Children's Hospital worked hard and with compassion to save our baby's life. But her chances of recovering were taken away when an operating room infected her with aspergillus mold. It grew inside of her, and she just could not beat it. She should never have suffered so much. 
We are torn up as we wait for answers from the administration as to why their building was allowed to put our baby and so many other children in harm's way. Well, this Aspergillus, you may ask, you know, is that some rare exotic mold? No. It is a common mold, and it is said that most people breathe it in without even getting sick. But it poses an especially great risk to those who have immune system problems or who have lung disease. But just a terrible thing. There have been seven deaths going back to 2001 in Seattle Children's Hospital, a hospital which these parents attest to the doctors and nurses being outstanding. But there's the question as to whether hospital, pardon me, whether hospital managers have covered this up and have failed to deal with it properly. It's alleged that hospital managers knew as early on as 2005 that this aspergillus mold was related to its air handling system. Whatever the truth turns out to be with regard to this, It will not change the fact that seven children, young, young children, including this baby, this precious baby, have died unnecessarily. Seattle, a place associated now, of course, with high tech, high technology, with Amazon with Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world, and so on and so forth. It seems ironic that something like this, a common mold, should have been an intractable problem at this hospital. But it's very sad, to say the least, and tragic. The question is, will it finally be cleansed of this? Will there finally be a solution for this? So that additional children and babies are not subjected to being threatened, their lives threatened by this. I spoke in the previous program about heroism. What is it? I referred to an account that I remembered going back to Ronald Reagan when he was president, referring to this precious, outstanding 
young teenage girl in West Virginia who saved all of her little brothers and sisters from a terrible inferno, going repeatedly back into the house to bring them out. And she suffered severe burns. And when asked why she would do such an incredible thing, such an extraordinary, self-sacrificing thing, she said, I love them. Well, there was a story some time ago concerning a boy in Florida. 12-year-old boy. He was left at home to look after his younger brothers, three of them, ages 9, 6, and 3, I believe, or 9, 6, and 5, and a three-year-old sister. And the power went out. A storm knocked out the power to the neighborhood, and the children used a few candles to provide light in the house. The mother was not home because she was at work, working at a nursing home. The father was not home. He was away on business. And a fire erupted. And this boy, one of the ones responsible for lighting the candles, no doubt, Justin Jackson, 12 years of age, he brought out his three brothers. He awoke. There was thunder and lightning, and he woke up to the smoke-filled house, and he grabbed up his brothers, Emilio, Diego, and William, nine, six, and five, and took them outside, and before going back into the house, he went to neighbors' doors and knocked on them. He should have gone right back into the house for his little sister, but he's 12 years of age. He ran back into the fire, and he kicked down the door to reach his three-year-old sister, Brooklyn. And he said the following, quote, I was worried that I was not going to get my little sister out of there. He picked her up, and he said she was real stiff. I was just real scared at that point. And he brought her out, but then he went back into the house to call 911 because none of the neighbors answered. That was bravery. That was heroism. And it was born of love. Meanwhile, In an adjoining state, Georgia, a five-year-old boy was home, but his parents were there. There were older family members. But this little guy, There was a fire that started in his little sister's room. Two-year-old sister. The details are a little fuzzy here. 
So I don't know if he and his sister were sharing the same room. It didn't sound that way, and yet it's unclear. But it started in his little sister's bedroom. And based on the reports, I tend to believe that he was sharing that room. But in any case, the door was blocked, so he couldn't have gone into the room with the doorway being blocked. Seemingly, he had to be there. And the only way out was through a window. And Noah, he got his sister, his two-year-old sister, a five-year-old, opened the window and got his two-year-old sister, lifted her out of the window, out through the window, out of this burning bedroom. And then he lifted his doggy out of that window, out of the house, and then he climbed out. Five-year-old boy, Noah Woods. Then he ran to the neighbor's house, who happened to be an uncle, and woke them up. And they were able to get the rest of the family out. Noah and four family members were treated for minor burns and smoke inhalation. This little guy saved his family. But I have no problem with him being recognized as a hero. But this wasn't a case of going back into a burning building, back into a burning house. This was just getting out of a burning house. The only way that was available to he and his two-year-old sister and the little doggy out through a window. I don't know how he could have done that. I mean, really, I can't help but think there was some angelic assistance there. But I view this more as a matter of outstanding, commendable action, responsible action and love more so than heroism. But I don't mind by any means him being referred to as a hero. This was outstanding, incredible action for this five-year-old boy to manage to get his little two-year-old sister out safely. And the family dog. Extraordinary. Speaking of doggies, it was a little doggie named Roscoe. And his family, they didn't have the same view of his importance and his worth as Noah had of his. They left this poor little doggy in an abandoned... It's described as house, an abandoned house. But I don't know if that means dog house or house. They tied him to a crate with nothing other than straw for warmth. In the middle of winter, and they drove by once a week and threw some kibble to him. 
And when his food and water ran out, Roscoe was in trouble. Heavy snow fell in southern Illinois. But fortunately, a neighbor called the Effingham County Animal Control and Shelter. And they rescued him. He was shivering to death. He was less than 10 pounds. This precious little guy. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.